Brothers and sisters, I know you feel as I that you've been well repaid for your having been here already today, hearing that lovely prayer by Brother Dahl and that heart-rendering sermon and music rendered by Sister Downs and her daughter. It was just wonderful. I'm glad to have President Cameron acknowledge the presence of my beloved wife and family members that are here. Some are here in present in present form, and some are here in spirit. Some people uh, accuse me of boosting the Sunday school statistics by fathering a large family, and it helped. I'm glad also to see one of my former counselors here, President Joe J. Christensen, who now presides at the Missionary Training Center. Between the presidency of the Sunday school through the years, we fathered a number of children and could have had our own branch almost at any time. I'm truly grateful for the privilege of being with you today, as I am for each opportunity to join with staff and students of the Brigham Young University. You are choice representatives of a chosen generation. Earnestly, I pray for the Spirit of the Lord to be with us in these moments that we share in devotion to deity. Sister Nelson and I enjoyed Father's Day recently. We visited with my dear mother and father, with each of our ten children, the husbands of our married daughters, and our dozen grandchildren. One of the highlights of the day was to see three of those grandchildren, Tick, Tack, and Toe, lined up in a row. These nicknames were affectionately designated by one of our daughters several months ago for these three yet unborn cousins, all expected about the same time. These three babies, all less than two months of age, were the center of attraction. Although they have not all officially been given their names and blessings as yet, one of them who is here today, she may participate in the program before the time's up. <laughs> one of the important accomplishments of that day of family gathering was to enter their names and birth dates into our family book of records. While doing so, I sensed the great care and uh, concern that had been used by their parents in the selection of the names for these babies. For the giving of a good name is of signal importance. The responsibility for naming children well reminded me of one of the traditions of ancient Israel. The Hebrews attached great importance to the meanings of their names. In many instances, a Hebrew personal name was composed of one of the names or titles of God. Two terms or roots were used chiefly in this way. The first, E-L, or L, at the beginning or at the end of a name. And the second, Yah, J-A-H, or sometimes that was used as Jo, J-O, or Jeho, J-E-H-O, at the beginning of the name, or the Yah terminology used at the end of the name took the spelling of I-A-H, or J-A-H, or I-A, but it was always pronounced Yah. 
The first term, El, we see in many names, such as that of the first archangel, Michael, meaning one who is like God, and that of the second angel, Gabriel, meaning man of God, and Nathaniel, meaning gift of God. The names of Daniel, Ezekiel, Elizabeth, and so many others bear that E-L root. The other term is found in such names as Jonathan, again meaning gift of God. The sacred and holy name of Jehovah itself bears that Jeho prefix. These two terms you may easily remember as you recall our worship for Elohim, our Heavenly Father, and His Son, Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important of all scriptural heroes bears the name comprised of these two name roots joined together. That name, Elijah. Elijah, which literally means, My God is Jehovah. Elias means the same, for it is the Greek form of the word, of the Hebrew word, Elijah. Isn't it fitting that one with such a noble name was the one who held the sealing power of the Melchizedek priesthood and was the last prophet to do so before? Jesus Christ. He, Elijah, appeared on the mount in company with Moses, both as translated beings, and conferred the keys of the priesthood on Peter, James, and John. Now, isn't it inspiringly consistent that Elijah appeared again in company with Moses and others on April 3, 1836, in the Kirtland Temple? to confer the same keys upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. All of this was an essential part of Elijah's eternal mission to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers before the second coming of the Lord. Our family book of records, to which I made earlier reference, and yours as well, are vital to our eternal welfare. We have been motivated to prepare these books through the motivational efforts of Elijah, whose name bears the double significance of portions of the name Elohim and Jehovah. With these two terms uh, or roots in mind, it's most interesting to observe as one reads the scriptures how many names, both male and female, carry these important signs of devotion and dedication to deity. As one notes these names, one can begin to sense the feelings of great potential and self-perception that must have been felt by those who were so named. Even other words common to our experience take on new depth of meaning as we understand their derivation. Consider the word hallelujah, for example. The Yah 
at the end of the word pertains to the Lord Jehovah. Haleo means praise to, and is the term specifically given to a group of psalms from 113 to 118 inclusive. The Hallel has been recited by Jews at their great feast for centuries. Hallel Uyah means praise to the Lord Jehovah. And so now when you sing in your songs, Hallelujah, perhaps you can have a little greater feeling for what you're really saying. You are singing. Praise to the Lord Jehovah. Sister Downs, the best way I know to preach a sermon is the way you did. And when we get the opportunity to sing, we should do so with the same fervor that Sister Downs did in her lovely song. Well, now in the English language, we encounter the plural form in such names as Williams, Richards, and in the great name of our distinguished president of Brigham Young University, President Dallin H. Oaks. He could be an oak, but he's an oaks. As many English nouns are made plural by adding s at the end, so many Hebrew nouns are pluralized by adding the suffix im, pronounced im. You already know some of them. Cherub becomes cherubim. Seraph becomes seraphim. Ur, meaning light, becomes urim. Tom, meaning perfection, becomes tamim. Perhaps these latter two words are more familiar to you as they're pronounced in our usual way. Urim and Thummim, meaning lights and perfections. Special meaning was given to some Hebrew names by the use of the plural form. The Hebrew name for our Heavenly Father, Elohim, is a plural form, the singular being Eloah. Note the E-L prefix, and the im or im suffix in the name Elohim. Now, can you think of a godly name in which the prefix and suffix in Elohim are transposed? Think of the name that Isaiah prophesied when he proclaimed Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a name, uh, bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God. El is with us. The Em. Well, now on this Father's Day recently passed, my own parents, in their typically generous way, brought some beautiful fresh fruit to be distributed to children and grandchildren. But more importantly, through the years, they have brought much more than this to the family. They have brought and they have given a good name. How proud I am to be known as the son of Edna and Marion C. Nelson. 
How grateful I am for their continuing good influence on my beloved Dansel and me and on our children. I am grateful to have my sweetheart Dansel beside me. Although she is not, according to our present society, the one to transmit her name to our children, she has transmitted life and love and faith to our children. My gratitude for our parents prompts my recollection of another father, the biblical Joseph. He knew that his father, Israel, was aging and ill. Joseph desired that his beloved sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, be given a blessing by their grandfather. If you would like to read that blessing with me, turn to Genesis, 48th chapter and the 16th verse. While you find that passage, consider the blessing you would like to receive if you were going to get a blessing from your grandfather. Or consider the blessing you might give if you were going to bless your grandsons at the close of your life. Well, now these are the words that Israel spoke as he laid his hands upon their heads. Bless the lads, and let my name be blessed, be named upon them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude. Of all the blessings he could have given, he chose to give them his name. Now turn back to Genesis, the 35th chapter and the 10th verse, and see how Grandfather Israel received his name. You all know the story. Let's read it together. Genesis 35 and 10. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. By changing his name, God changed the self-perception for Jacob as well. For Jacob knew that the literal meaning of Israel was to prevail with or be a soldier of God. Israel was now God's entitled representative. For another divinely commissioned change of names, turn back to Genesis, the 17th chapter, in the fifth verse, and study with me the name of Israel's grandfather, who lived with the name Abram for 99 years. A-B, or Ab, or Abe, means father. Abram means exalted father, already a name of unusual distinction in my judgment. Yet, God changed it. From Genesis 17 and 5 we read, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. 
for a father of many nations have I made thee. Well, what was the significance of this change to that elderly man? God had changed the name from the singular form Abram, which means exalted father, to the plural form Abrahim, or Abraham, as we say it in English, meaning father of a multitude, the plural designation. What a powerful reminder to Abraham to signify the new destiny destiny divinely deigned for him. At a later occasion, you may wish to read all of Genesis 17 and review the great covenants made by the Lord to Abraham and to his seed forever, for they are of supernal significance. We of the church today are also children of Abraham. We are his seed. We are natural inheritors by blood lineage or by adoption of all the blessings that God gave Abraham, the blessings of glory and immortality and eternal life. These blessings indeed may be yours. Today, even in modern Israel, a name change may be required. If an important dignitary is to represent the nation of Israel among other nations of the world, he must bear a Hebrew name. If he didn't have one to begin with, he may adopt one. This could surely lead to some confusion in doing genealogical work. One of my Hebrew scholar friends uh, jokingly referred to such name-switching with the remark, In America, for important people, you have a who-is-who. In Israel, we should have a who-was-who. It is evident that Hebrew parents and God himself bequested names of might and significance to cause young and old alike to live up to their potential. Their great names helped to make the individuals great. Conversely, failed potential and dishonorable deeds by a single soul have brought disrepute to an otherwise perfectly good name. Consider the name Absalom, for example. Ab, or A-B, means father, and Shalom means peace. Ab Shalom, father of peace, a perfectly good name, until it was stigmatized by this particular son of David who killed his brother and conspired against his own father. Now, many centuries later, even the area adjacent to the self-built tomb of Absalom is shunned as undesirable by the Israelis. The once proud name of Lucifer, meaning bearer of light, was blackened by unrighteous ambition. Judas Iscariot sold his good name for 30 pieces of silver. The Norwegian traitor Vidkun Quisling became despised throughout the world because of his willingness to serve the German conquerors of his country during World War II. The word Quisling came to stand for traitor in many languages 
and that word doesn't even have a capital Q. Following the Civil War, a certain financial institution invited General Robert E. Lee to be its president at a handsome salary. General Lee doubted that his service would merit such a salary. They explained they didn't care about his service. All they wanted was the use of his name. And the great general then replied, Gentlemen, my name is not for sale. Now for you, my beloved brothers and sisters, the past is but prologue. History and records of old are for your profit and learning. From the great and ingrate names of the past, we can find focus for the future. As you do that, I would like to suggest five challenges to you that your lives might be edified. The first challenge, make a name for yourself. Your name can be as sterling for you as President Spencer W. Kimball's name is for him. Remember the passage from Proverbs 22, the first verse. Quote, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. End of quotation. Keep your name untarnished. To assist you in that regard, know that you have a parade of predecessors and name sharers, both living and dead, that are praying and pulling for you. Learn to know them. Know something about the lives of those names listed on your four-generation sheets. Remember who you are. Keep your and their name free from blemish. You may enjoy this quotation from Shakespeare as I do. He said, He who steals my purse steals trash. But he who filches from me my good name robs me of that which doth not enrich himself, but makes me poor indeed. Remember that the scriptures tell us that serious misdeeds could cause your names to be blotted out of the records of the church or even from the names of your fathers. Second challenge. Take upon yourself the name of the Lord. In so doing, you harness yourself to power beyond your comprehension. Would you turn with me to Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 17 and 20? For I'd like to review with you a conversation between the Savior and his faithful. Luke, the 10th chapter, the 17th verse. The seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he, the Lord, said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, after that enormous promise, listen to this capstone to this promise he had given. 
notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. As you take the name of the Lord upon you, you are known of him, and your name is written in heaven. You can enter your name upon the same list with the prophet. The prophet of God does not need to speak a dozen languages. He does not need to be an athlete or a golden-toned orator or even to be known by popularity pollsters. He must only be known of the Lord and respond to the promptings and revelation given by him. That preparation, that discipline, came only to President Kimball by his first taking upon him the name of the Lord. This you may also be privileged to do. Each Sabbath day it is our sacred opportunity to covenant that we will be willing to take upon us the name of God's Son, and always remember Him and keep His commandments which He has given, that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. Now the third challenge. Honor the names of your fellow men. Whenever your conversations include reference to names of others, let your comments bring credit to those to whom you refer. To me, it is pathetic to hear human beings using their godly gift of speech indulge in the rough brutalities of name-calling. Beware of nicknames that are uncomplimentary and offensive. Even though seemingly in jest, participants in that risky practice may originate or perpetuate ignominious names without realizing the hurt the feelings of inferiority and non-identity that such careless expressions can engender. Everyone appreciates the sound of his own name, correctly pronounced and honorably mentioned. If you wish your name to be treated fairly and remembered accurately, give that same courteous consideration to the names of others. Now the fourth challenge. Honor the names of deity. One of the many notable characteristics of students, faculty, and supporters of Brigham Young University is their obedience to that first great commandment to love God. This, in, of course, includes obedience to the commandment given 34 centuries ago when God thundered these words to mankind through Moses on Sinai. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That's the end of that quotation that's so familiar to us all. Profanity is not just untidy language. Profanity plummets to low and vulgar depths the most sacred of all names. With that descent goes the spiritual authority, power, and potential for that individual. Profanity and swearing are signs of a soiled mind and a limited vocabulary. According to Holy Writ, those who in ancient Israel blasphemed the name of the Lord were punished by death. 
That is not for us. We are to rise in righteousness on his name. In the church that bears the name of Jesus Christ, all things are done in his name. Prayers are offered, children blessed, testimonies born, sermons preached, ordinances performed, sacraments administered, the infirm are anointed, and graves are dedicated in his name. The example we set for all the world should reflect our reverence for God, our eternal Father, who which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The fifth challenge, prepare yourself for a new name. God may do for you what he did for Jacob and for Abram. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 17, if you wish to read with me. Revelation 2 and 17. Quote, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. For clarification of this scripture, refer to Doctrine and Covenants 130th section, the 10th verse and the 11th verse. I'm quoting again. The white stone mentioned in Revelation 2 and 17 will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of the kingdoms will be made known. And a white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, whereon is a new name written, which no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. The new name is the key word. This sacred instrument for your personal enlightenment and perfection will be yours along with your new name as you overcome the temptations and trials that beset you. You know, we have a lot of interesting experiences in this life that tend to become rehearsals for the life hereafter. Take, for example, the fact that I have gone to church on ten, ten different occasions and as an earthly father have held my infant baby in my arms to give a name and a blessing. But I'm just an earthly father. To me, the concept that my eternal father, my spirit, will give me the name that he has chosen is worthy of our working for. We must learn to live to, the, to qualify for these 
divine gifts. Now, my beloved brothers and sisters, the future for you in the world and in the church is bright and full of promise. I testify that as you keep the commandments of God, he will bless you beyond your present capacity to comprehend. May you make a name for yourself that becomes synonymous with faith, integrity, and dependability. May you take upon yourself the name of the Lord and always remember him and keep his commandments. May you honor the names of those with whom you live and work, your brothers and sisters, your fellow men. May you honor the names of deity and stay above the plague of pollution in the world that profanity provides. May you prepare to receive a new name, whatever and whenever that divine designation is to be made by your eternal Father. May you know that I know that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that this is his church, that President Spencer W. Kimball is God's prophet upon the earth for all mankind. I testify to the truth of these things. My love and my testimony I leave with you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.